0: Most of us think that the pursuit of more is about climbing some hierarchy or making more money. And the truth is, when we get to the end of our lives, we're going to look back and none of that's going to matter. What's going to matter is who did we spend time with if you'll just think of yourself more as a shepherd than as some authoritarian leader. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to spend time with people.
1: Well, I'm excited to have my good friend Chris Allen on the podcast today. Chris is the founder and CEO of Always About People. Uh, the two of us worked together for many years at Elevation Church, and we attend the same campus together at church every Sunday. And I even got to spend New Year's Eve. Uh, at your house, Chris. So, welcome
0: to Dreamers and Disciples. I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks so much, Wade. It's an, it's an honor to be here. You know, I've been waiting for years to for you to ask me to be on the podcast.
1: But even before the podcast was a podcast, you were just <laughs> waiting for the invitation. <laughs> yeah, years, years. Well, thank you for having me. Well, man, I, I, I'm I'm pumped about just just the wisdom that you're going to be able to share not just about leadership, which I know is the focus of your organization and in your ministry, but also just, I really respect the man that you are. I respect your character. I respect you as a husband and as a father. And so I think there's really good stuff that we're gonna be able to, to really talk through today that's gonna help a lot of people. So let's start with what
0: you're dreaming about right now. Yeah, such a great question. Um, my wife, Jamie and I, we have four kids and, uh, the gray hair is showing some age now. Um, our oldest is 20. He's a sophomore up at Wheaton college. Our, our next son is 18. Um, our daughter is about to be 16 and our youngest is about to become a teen. Hmm. And honestly, what we're dreaming about is just launching our kids. Well, um, uh, we are so proud of where each of our kids are right now. And I feel like as we step into this next season, it's um, with with some uncertainty, um, some expectation, but also with like, God, you've been so faithful. Hmm. Um, our, our second is doing his second semester of his senior year in high school with circuit riders in Huntington Beach, California right now. Oh, wow. Our daughter's about to drive, And our youngest is just doing the soccer thing and the school thing. And so um, what we're dreaming about is that each of our kids would launch into the next phase, most likely outside of our home, with just the heart um, for the Lord. Uh, And so that's really what we're dreaming about from a family perspective. Mm -hmm. I would say that from a marriage perspective, what we're dreaming about is what does this next season look like when— Jamie and I actually get to spend time together hmm. that's not focused on what the kids are doing, but that we would actually uh, be able to focus on our relationship again. And then from a work standpoint, um, I am continuing to dream about how to help people thrive in the workplace. And um, what makes um, just what makes me passionate about what I do is helping people understand how, they can thrive in their work and that's what I spend a lot of time dreaming about uh, during the day so there's three dreams kids marriage work hey that was great you covered all the
1: bases there I love it <laughs> and I really like that you started with family because I think there's a lot of a lot of leaders who feel like they're winning at work and they know how to lead people at work but they're not really leading at home, and they're not really giving their best attention to that. And so you're further ahead of me in in the parenting space. You know, I have two 15-year-olds. I have an 11-year-old. I haven't sent anybody off to college yet, but I look at your family, and I see kids that really love the Lord, and they're wanting to serve God. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about things that you and Jamie have done in raising your kids to help
0: them launch well? Yeah. Um, I think I've got to probably give most of the credit to Jamie. Um, she's been an incredible mom, and uh, we've we've chosen to do kind of a hybrid education with our kids. They've been in and out of um, traditional school settings, homeschool, university-style schools. And so um, I think the first thing is we we've really taken it upon ourselves believe that we are responsible for their education Mm -hmm. and their education is both academic but it's also spiritual and we take that role very seriously um so i think part of just our thought process was uh nobody else is going to take the responsibility nor be held accountable for the growth of our kids how do we do this really well and then how we did that well was take very seriously the idea of modeling. And I think um, of a couple things. One, um, I watched my dad uh, sit and read his Bible every morning. Mm-hmm. And I would oftentimes come downstairs to my dad with coffee and a Bible and a notebook and a top spiral round, spiral bound, uh, you know, one of those like $1.99 <laughs> notebooks that you get from the convenience store. Um, uh, or the drugstore, but um, he modeled just the importance of that quiet time with the Lord. And so I saw that, and he didn't have to say anything. He modeled the behavior. It's been really our goal within our family that both Jamie and I would model those behaviors for our kids, and that the modeling would be more out of seeing than out of saying anything. Um And so I I just, I think those couple things, modeling, and then um, I think really exposing our kids to worship and the importance of worship um, and a passion for worship. Uh, You know, so many people grow up in church and church is associated with boring or quiet time associated with boring or prayer associated with, I don't know how you could pray that long. And we've really attempted to expose our kids to the passion in worship, mm. and that prayer and time with the Lord does not have to be this boring thing, but that it can be an adventure. And And so I, I would just say that those have been the conversations that we've taken very seriously in our home, and uh, we, we take on full responsibility and accountability mm. for the growth and development of our kids. It's, it's, it's nobody else's responsibility. Yeah. So those, those are a couple of thoughts.
1: I really like that theme of responsibility. Yes, there are other people and churches and things that can come alongside and, you know, be another voice in your child's life, but you are the one with the primary responsibility given by God to raise them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from a leadership perspective, you know, I've heard it said that everything isn't the leader's fault, but everything is the leader's responsibility and once again i think we can we can lean into that responsibility from a work standpoint but sometimes we shirk that responsibility at home and hmm. i'd like to talk through the relationship between a leader's private life and their public life so how does the way a leader leads their family leads themselves leads their marriage how does that translate into what they do in their church or in their job. It was the correlation there because your organization Always About People I think really focuses on the top-down approach that everything flows from the leader. So maybe start to unpack
0: some of that. Yeah. Well, I th- I think really quickly, if I start organizationally, I would say that what we discover inside of the organizations we work with is oftentimes there's a disconnect between what we believe, and how we behave. And uh, we attempt to help organizations bridge the gap or narrow the gap between beliefs and behaviors. One real practical example would be, uh, it's one thing to have you know, a, a purpose statement, vision and values on a wall, but what is it that people inside the organization are seeing every day in the behaviors of the organization? Most of those behaviors are strategy and the culture that people are in. Uh, The one thing that bridges the gap is leadership. Hmm. The problem is we tend to, in organizations, take really, really valuable individual contributors and promote them into seats of leadership and management without giving them the skills necessary to really value, love, and care for people. And so most people go to work every day and they see this disconnect between belief and behavior. Most often they see it in the life and behavior of their leaders. And so we've chosen as an organization, how do we help develop, how do we help bridge the gap between belief and behavior? How do we help develop these leaders, not as just leaders in the workplace, that is where they'll spend most of their waking hours, Mm -hmm. but how do we develop them as people so that they're thriving in, we call it the thrive factors, six areas of life. And so again, an individual brings himself or herself to work every day, and they are going to carry in to that workplace, whatever it is going on in their personal lives. And so the six areas would be, there's professional, there's relational, there's familial, the, your actual family. Then you think through physical, financial, and spiritual, and so it's the it's the whole person that's coming to work. And I think w- one quick thought here, Wade. We don't need to go into too much detail, but uh, our core belief is that uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, a totally secular model. Said that we all have this hierarchy of needs as people. And work is found in the second level need, which is safety. Above that are things like um like belonging. Like I, I've gotta feel like I'm belonging to something. Above that is self-esteem. And then above that is what they call or what he called self-actualization, which is nothing more than becoming who God created us to be. Mm. So work is the second level need. And for a long time, people's needs were met. Those higher level needs were met through church, society, community, relationships. And I just, our thesis is that the structures that once met those higher level needs are now broken. Mm. And so you've got an entire generation of people that are coming to the workplace, they still have needs, we're people. But we have a choice to make in the workplace of whether we're going to try to meet those needs
1: Mm.
0: or deny it. And I just believe that this next generation that's entering the workplace is basically saying, look, if I'm going to spend most of my time at work, I at least want to get some of these needs met. And I want to enjoy the people I work with and I wanna be healthier when I go home. And so that's this idea of kind of what you asked, which is the disconnect between my personal life and my professional life. I would say there is no disconnect. It's a person, hmm. we're people. Yeah. And so really, we've, we, either, we either help to meet those needs, help develop it, or what the stats say is that we actually leave people worse off after work. They go home and they might be frustrated. They may be angry. They may may be more insecure. They may feel less competent. And so they're going back into their home setting or their personal lives without some of the confidence and those other level needs being met. And so I'm just, I'm believing that we can create workplaces that actually help people integrate personal and professional.
1: Yes, I think integration is the key word there. And the way you just broke that down in those six levels and the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think that's really a helpful insight and really good handles. What do you say, though, to the leader who's listening to this right now that's like, yeah, I get all that, but I still need them to meet deadlines. I still need them to produce. And... Someone might say, "Well, that sounds like I need to coddle somebody." Do you have research and things that back up, like when you actually help build a person holistically, that they actually become a better employee and better contributor in the workplace? Yeah,
0: there's a there's a ton of data around this. Um, the Gallup organization has done a a ton of research around well being and the well-being of an individual and how that connects to their productivity, efficiency, and output. Um, McKinsey has done some research on this as well. Um, From our own research, uh, I've got some old McKinsey friends that uh, have put some models together as well around human motivation. And what I would say is um, nothing that I just said around helping people become better people is absent of performance at work. Because um, if we want to tie this back to parenting, that would be like saying, if I care for my kids, they won't perform. Right. (laughs) And, and all of us know that by actually caring and being clear about boundaries and being clear about their responsibilities at home and Clear about my expectations, that my kids actually for, perform better, mm-hmm. and I can combine both care and the clarity in that setting. Why would it not be the same in the workplace? And and so we just we know from human behavior that when we have clarity, uh, we perform more effectively. It's oftentimes. Um, and sometimes, Wade, this is seen in Christian organizations or churches where we think that caring for somebody means that we can't set clear expectations. And it, that ends up being detrimental to the growth of an individual. I mean, it would, it would be the same as raising a kid and saying, I'm just going to coddle this child. I'm never going to set any expectations or boundaries. Well, see how that works out for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so the same, it, we're, we're people. And we're people at home and we're people at work. Uh, the same concept holds true. And, I, and again, so I, I don't see any disconnect between my ability to care for the person and my ability to set very clear expectations. And most of us want to meet those expectations. Mm-hmm.
1: I've said it before on here. And, and what you're really getting at is that clarity is kindness. And I think people, when you, we think about clarity... When we give people set and clear expectations of their work performance, their job responsibilities, the other side of that is also giving someone a clear path of growth and a clear path of development that here's what I see in you, and here's a path that I wanna help you walk in so you can thrive. And it's loving to tell you when you're not walking on that path, when you're getting out of alignment. And so I think, you know, we hear a lot about development and empowerment in leadership circles and in, on church staff evaluations and those kind of conversations. Can you give any practical tools on how to help develop somebody in their gifting? How do you actually help someone thrive and become who God created them to be?
0: Yeah. Um. So a, a couple of things real quick. Um, I think as a leader, manager, supervisor, whatever title you want to give somebody, as a people leader, my job is to develop people. Mm. Okay, so how do I develop people? Well, um, if I tell them who to become, uh, it'll work out the same way it works when you tell your kids what to do. When you can create an environment where you're getting them to buy into the growth and development, and it's actually what they want, now I, now I'm in sync with you and and I can help you get there. So first of all, my job is to say, Hey, here's what I need from you. Here's, here's where we're going as an organization. Here's the vision, the strategy, here's the culture. Um, Are you in? Okay. Yes. Check that box. Now, what is it that you want to do? Where is it that you want to go? Um, What is it that you want to develop while you're here? And how can I, as your people leader, help you get there? Um, Now, my job as the leader is is to align where we're going with where you want to go and figure out how that aligns to really move our organization forward or our team or our department, whatever that looks like. And so practically, um, we believe that the most important structure in any organization is the one-on-one. And uh, I think everything starts in a one-on-one conversation the same way marriage does. I've shared this as a sort of a funny example before, but, you know, so many organizations out of the industrial revolution in through the knowledge economy of the last 30 years or so have had the HR process of the annual review being equivalent to development of people that that has never worked and it will never work in the future because that's like saying that my marriage will operate well if I tell Jamie once a year, listen, babe, it's time to go out to dinner. It's time for our annual review. Mm-hmm. I've been reviewing your performance over the last 90 days. <laughs> right. I've been taking notes and I've got a few pieces of feedback that I'd like to give you. Well, in the same way that, like, that would be ridiculous. Uh, That's what happens in organizations. The best structure for growth and development is a one-on-one conversation. And so the first practical, most basic uh, developmental structure is, hey, make sure you're having one-on-one conversations. Because that's where the individuals under my leadership get to know me, know my heart, but that's where I get to know their desires, uh, what they need more of from me, what they need less of from me. Mm -hmm. And if those one-on-ones aren't happening, uh, we're missing a huge opportunity. And Wade, let me tie this back to life. We talk about one-on-ones being a really important structure in the workplace, but the same is true in raising our kids and in our marriages. And so if I'm not getting that one-on-one time with my kids. You know, again, having four kids or multiple kids, it can be difficult to sometimes get that alone time. But that's where I get to hear their heart. Mm -hmm. That's where I get to ask questions. That's where I get to hear what God is doing in their lives. Sometimes you can't hear that in sort of a, a, a more family setting. And so the same would be true of marriage. Like date nights are important because that one-on-one structure is really important to the growth of a relationship and the development of a person. And so um, I just think sometimes the structures that we know work in our personal lives are the same structures that work in our Mm -hmm. professional lives. We just don't put it all together. We don't integrate it oftentimes.
1: Yeah, it's really about intentional presence, being intentionally present. With your spouse with your kids with your friendships and then with your peers at work with the people that you've been entrusted to lead or even with your own leaders because i think sometimes you know there are a lot of people listening to this and they're not the supervisor at work they're not the manager and they might not be having these one-on-ones or they're just afraid to be clear themselves about what they're feeling. I want to encourage you to download my free guide, Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul. This is a perfect companion for what we're walking through today. It's a short PDF to help you get a game plan to have your healthiest year yet when it comes to your soul. So you can download that for free at wayjoy.com slash seven rhythms. Can you talk about You know the person that's listening that's like, "Hey, I'm not. I don't see myself as the leader." And everything you're describing sounds awesome. But how do I actually influence the culture to go in the direction you're talking about when I don't have what I feel like is enough authority to make
0: those changes? All right, my mind went a couple places. The first one is oftentimes we're dealing with people leaders who may have a sense of sort of imposter syndrome themselves, or they feel incompetent in their own leadership. And so as an individual contributor, we'll just, we'll call it that for right now, you actually have an opportunity to lead up. And remember your people leader, whatever role they play, supervisor, manager, leader, doesn't matter. um, They may be insecure about even having that one-on-one time. Uh, Oftentimes they might also have difficulty scheduling it because their calendars are too busy. They're in too many meetings. It becomes a sort of a second thought for them. So one really practical thing would be uh, to simply approach your people leader and say something to the effect of, hey, I would really love to get some one-on-one time with you. Uh, Would you mind if I scheduled 30 minutes on the calendar? And that's that's a way of essentially owning, taking responsibility and accountability for the one-on-one without waiting for your leader to actually schedule it. And so instead of me feeling disappointed that my leader didn't schedule it, I'm just gonna take the initiative and go and ask for 30 minutes. Then when I approach that 30 minutes as an individual contributor, I I wanna go in prepared. I wanna go in with some questions. I wanna know where I'm taking that conversation. And I want to help my leader understand what I need more of or less of from them to be even more productive. And so back to your sort of initial question, hey, great, we're caring for people, but does that just mean we need to coddle people? No, Um, I'm going to own my performance within the workplace, and I'm going to go to my leader and give them my thoughts on what I need more of or less of from them. So that I can perform at an even higher level, mm. and I'll take the one-on-one upon myself to schedule, uh, to come in prepared, to put together an agenda, and oftentimes I think you'll see that the leader will respond in a way that's like, "Wow, thanks for setting up this time." Mm. That's just one real practical thought.
1: No, I, th- I think it's great, and just as you know, somebody who led a team for for many many years at a very fast paced, busy church, and many of those years alongside you, I think I could draw a direct correlation between the health of the team and my frequency of one-on-ones. And not even just the frequency of them, how I was leading them. Because it's easy to Mm. check a box with a one-on-one and just hit tasks. There's a whole nother level of intentionality to really ask the question, Beneath the question. Yep. And to be a good listener and try to figure out what your employee is actually saying and what they're actually feeling and needing. That's it. And so, yes, I think that both from the leader's perspective and the person who is being led, bringing your best into those conversations is so important to have joy mm. in the workplace and to thrive. And not just in the workplace, like you said, in life in general like being present in those moments. We talked about this uh, recently. I'm finding more and more a direct correlation between the joy I have in life and how present I am in the moment. So if I can go into every conversation and be fully present and figure out what am I supposed to bring into this interaction and what is God wanting me to receive from it?
0: Hmm. I'm just more aware of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I love that, Uh, Wade. What's fascinating is that I was reading in Ecclesiastes this morning and I'm just moved by this idea that it's like, what's the purpose of this toil in work? And, uh, you know, the, the, the book gets to this point where, you know, the, the writer just simply says, you know, I, I just think in enjoying life, um, eat, drink, enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that could be defined as just be present. Just be present in in the moment. Um, Wade, one other thing that I wanted to add on is like, oftentimes uh, you correlated that to the performance of the team at at elevation. Um, But I think when we think about cultures in general, Jamie and I have this thought that when our kids um, are either acting in a way that's not normal or... They seem upset or short or whatever. Uh, that's how always been a sign that they need one on one time. Hmm. And uh, any time that one of our children has been a, a little more difficult than normal, we've just had this communication where we said, "All right, it's time for a, it's time for a one on one date." We always called them dates, mm-hmm. and so I would take the kid out for breakfast or dinner and just get one-on-one time and it's amazing how that one-on-one time then translates to their health within even the family. Obviously the same thing plays itself out in the workplace.
1: Yeah, and I think in those type of conversations, when you know that one-on-one time is needed, I think I've also learned to not go into those and assume I know what's actually the problem. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times we're just seeing the symptom of the problem. Um, And we can go in there being, at least I have in the past, like I've got my plan for how to fix the problem and address these symptoms, but I'm not really listening to hear what the real issue is. And so I think going into those one-on-one times, not just focused on what you want to say, but also being very focused on what you need to hear is very, very key. I'm curious. You said, and I think we've you, we've kind of like danced around this a little bit, but I saw on your on your website for always about people love people use things. Can you talk? I mean, it seems self-explanatory, but I think
0: it's a very hard thing to live out sometimes. Can you talk about that? It's interesting because I I actually stole that thought from a documentary that I saw. Um, and uh, I've forgotten the actual name of it, but th- the point is, we tend to, in this culture, love things and use people to get more of them.
1: Hmm.
0: And things being money, wealth, possessions, whatever. And so, in the workplace, a thing could be a promotion. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna use people to get ahead to be promoted to get the role, the job, whatever. Uh, I just think if instead we would just love people and just use things versus the other way around, uh, it would solve a lot. And so obviously the, the name of our consulting company is Always About People because I find that no matter what industry, what you're doing, it is always about people. Even with the rise of AI and um, everyone fearing what AI is going to do to certain jobs, guess what? In order to actually utilize AI effectively, you need people. Mm. And it always is about people. Um, I even think of the modern rise of private equity, where uh, the goal is to go inside of a company, figure out how to make it as profitable as possible. So we're going to use people— to get more things. And that has backfired time and time again because if you're not going in with a focus on the people, hmm. um, it, it won't work. And so plenty of mergers and acquisitions and purchases have happened, leaving people behind. And the company, in the next couple of years, just begins to tank. Uh, we can, I can go uh, example after example. Um, but that statement specifically is, hey, let's make sure that culturally we're loving people using things, hmm. not the other way around, because it 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 very rarely ever works when you get that stuff mixed up. Yeah,
1: I'm actually reminded of, it's it's a scripture that I've been in a lot the last two years, and I've taught a lot from, and I can't get away from it, honestly, but it's in Matthew 20. And this is right after James and John's mom had asked Jesus for one of them to sit on the right and one of them to sit on the left and the disciples get really yeah. mad. And this is verse 24. It says, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm struck by those four words in verse 26, not so with you, because I think there's a worldly culture of leadership. And then there's the Christ-like posture of leadership. And so I think part of our mandate as Christians is to show the world what true leadership actually looks like. And I feel like everything you're describing is that and you don't even have to be a christian to see why that's a good thing and why that's some a place you would want to work for or work in can you maybe elaborate on our role as christians to create these kind of cultures
0: and to be these kind of leaders
1: hmm
0: yeah um well i'll I'll fast forward a few thoughts i've got a ton of thoughts on this <laughs> but um if if we go all the way back to adam um Technically, he was a form of a shepherd. And the concept of shepherd is woven through the entire Bible, from Old Testament into New Testament. And obviously, culturally, we lose a little bit of the understanding in our modern culture. But the rise of the term servant leader has in many ways gotten watered down recently. Mm-hmm. And we need to return to this concept of What does it mean to be a shepherd? And so to a Christian trying to figure out how do we make this happen? Well, go back and just do a study through the Bible on the idea of shepherd leadership. And the number of times that the Bible mentions a shepherd, uh, a shepherd leader, uh, David, all throughout and look at the traits of a shepherd and how they care for sheep. Now, they care for, but also set very clear boundaries and expectations for their sheep. Mm-hmm. And so the, the entire idea of a shepherd staff is that it's both a hook to be able to protect, but also a staff to be able to prod Hmm. and the idea of Jesus, I mean, even looking at parables of going after the one, the one lost sheep and that every sheep has a name and that the shepherd would lay down his life at the gate to protect, that the whole concept just keeps going and unraveling. And so one quick thought to a Christian, even in a secular workplace, how can you be a better shepherd to people this year? And um, back to maybe some of our earlier conversation, how can you ask better questions? Hmm. How can you be present? How can you get one-on-one time with people? You know, Wade, one thing that I was thinking of earlier is that so much of our ability to have a great one-on-one is in my competency to ask a great question. Hmm. And... Um, if, if I, as a leader would stop thinking that I have to have all the solutions, that I have to solve everything, that people are looking at me to solve everything. No, they're not. Um, you don't have to have all the answers. Just be the shepherd and guide, mm-hmm. guide people to the answers and ask better questions. And so, um, I just think, okay, to the Christian Who's saying, hey, I, I work in a secular workplace or I work in a church or I work in a nonprofit. Um, whatever the setting, the same thing applies. How can you be a better shepherd this year and care for the individual sheep? Know what each sheep needs, how to guide them to the green grass, to the water, or, you know, obviously that's an illustration, but. What does that look like in your workplace? I think that that would change some perspective around leadership.
1: As you're saying that, it, it made me think that not everybody listening has organizational authority, but everyone does have relational influence. And so you can be a shepherd and a guide and a listener and care for the people that God has given you a measure of influence with within your circle. And that has nothing to do with an org chart. It has everything to do with your presence.
0: That's right.
1: And so it's it's quick for somebody to discount Well, I'm just not a leader. And I just think you're not defining leader correctly when you say that or in its fullest extent. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I love what you just said, the guidelines of ask better questions and care for people and guide people and love people. And I think that also helps frame for people because I talk to a lot of different people when I'm traveling different places. And I'm sure you've encountered this too, where people just feel stuck in a job they don't like, or they feel like they have no other options. And they're like, really, is this my purpose in life just to do this and clock in from nine to five? But I think when you can reframe it the way you just talked about it, it kind of gives you a new spark and in your heart of how you look at your purpose and how you look at your job. Can you maybe speak to that person right now who's like, I don't love what I do, but I've got to feed my family and I don't feel like I have other options. Encourage that person right now.
0: Well, we run into this all the time. And so I've, I've just got a couple thoughts. thoughts. Um, a good friend of mine wrote a book. His name is Neil Doshi. He wrote a book called Prime to Perform. And in the book, he lays out human motivation in some real simple terms, that the direct motives of play, purpose, and potential really drive our adaptive performance. But most of us find ourselves in emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia. And that's really what we're talking about here, Wade, is for the person who's feeling emotional pressure, to just stick with it, economic pressure because they need to provide, or inertia, I've just been doing this thing so long, I don't know anything else. Um, What I would just prompt you with is, why did you get into this in the first place? Return back to your first love kind of thought, where um, to the teacher who is so frustrated with teaching now, why'd you get into this in the first place? You got into it because you really cared deeply there was a calling on your life to educate the next generation, but something organizationally has happened. Maybe it's in leadership. Maybe it's just going through COVID. Maybe it's having to all of a sudden learn how to teach differently for the medical professional. Um, why'd you get into this? You you got into this to help people, and now you've been so beaten down by an organizational structure, a hierarchy. uh, seen a certain number of patients, whatever it is, most of us got into something because there was real purpose in it and we, we enjoyed it. And over time we begin to lose that because we start to focus on past or future, some of the frustrations. Oftentimes it's because of a leader that we are frustrated. So I would just tell that person, um, spend some time reflecting on why you got into this in the first place. Where, where has that purpose and that real passion, where has that gotten lost? And it's okay that that's the current reality, but what can you do with the influence that you have to try and make that environment better for the people around you? How How can you help other people remember why they got into it? Yeah. And so, again, back to just that idea of, I enjoyed what I did, I found purpose in it, and I saw potential. Yeah. Where did that go? What happened?
1: Why did I start doing this in the first place? That is, Why did I get into this? That's such a great practice of, of reframing your present by looking at your past. I think we can live in our past in an unhealthy way where we're trapped by it, but God also calls us to look at our past to remind us of his faithfulness and his goodness and the things that we've forgotten that we need to remember. Yeah. And so I think that's such a really, it's a helpful practice. I remember one time it was a staff advance at Elevation. and I'm pretty sure you were on staff at the time, but I could be, I'm terrible with timelines. But I remember Pastor Steven asked us to uh, preach to our like 16 year old self and remind yourself of why you got into ministry and, you know, if if your 16-year-old self could see what you were doing now and i think that's a really helpful practice that i've stuck um, i've stuck with from time to time in journaling but i think that's a, it's it's a really good place to start to land the plane and i just ask you right now is there anything that you want to say to someone who is a leader right now just to remind them of their their responsibility the the opportunity they have to speak life into people What words would you have for them as we close?
0: You've been given an incredible responsibility. Um, Anytime any of us are given a role to influence people, um, we get to choose. We get to choose whether this is just a sort of a role that I can use people to get more things, or it's a role that I take very seriously that the purpose of leadership is to develop people. And Um, this has been proven scientifically over and over. In fact, there was a Harvard Business Journal article written about it years and years ago. But most of us think that the pursuit of more is about climbing some hierarchy or making more money. And the result, or I guess the truth is, when we get to the end of our lives, we're going to look back and none of that's going to matter. What's going to matter is uh, who did we spend time with and the relationships that we consider really dear to us. And so most of us will look back and think, gosh, I'm so proud of my kids and the people that I got to work with and look at how far these five people have gone with their careers that I had an opportunity to lead. So I would just say, take your role very seriously. You, You are an influencer. Your job is not to have all the answers. And so you might feel like an imposter at times but just ask better questions because the people on your team actually wanna help you get there. Yeah. If you'll just think of yourself more as a shepherd than as some authoritarian leader, hmm. uh, you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to spend time with people. So let me put a bow on it. I would just say it still comes back down to the one-on-one conversations. So this week, why don't you set up time with the people on your team. Send out 30 minute requests, 20 minutes if you have to. Maybe it's every other week. See how they respond and in those times, just ask questions. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing personally? We've got a framework that we work through in one-on-ones and I'll just give it to you here. It's uh, think about the context. So ask about someone personally and professionally, that's context. Then challenges. Hey, what challenges are you having? How can I help you overcome those? And then finish that 20 or 30 minutes with commitments. Here's what I'm committing to do for you. Mm -hmm. And here's what you're committing to do for the team or me as the leader. And it's just a simple framework for a one-on-one, but start there this week, leaders.
1: Yeah, thank you for giving those handles. I think that those are good, not even for leadership conversations, but even personal conversations. What's the context of what's going on in the person's life? What challenges can you help them with? And then how can you commit to them as a friend, as a husband, as a dad? So, man, I I really appreciate your heart, Chris. I really respect you and just the posture that you've always had as a leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what you're talking about today, I've seen you live out. And I know you've helped many, many other leaders and organizations and followers of Jesus live out themselves. So thank you for that. Uh,
0: How can people follow you or find out more
1: about Always About People?
0: We're all over social media. Um, Just look up Always About People, alwaysaboutpeople.com, give you a good perspective on who we are, what we do. I think that's going to be the easiest uh, way to find us. Um, But we help create cultures where people thrive. And so I guess what I would just say is if there's ever an opportunity where we can help you as an individual leader – or you within the context of an organization, Hmm. gosh, it would be our honor to be able to to help. And maybe this is important too, but yes, I I am a follower of Jesus and everything we teach is from that foundation, but it's all true. Hmm. And so even all the secular organizations that we work in, everything that you read in modern psychology and sociology simply backs up everything that was talked about in the Bible and so uh, we we work in all organizations and the beauty of it is I can just change the language <laughs> in some settings I get to say here's truth and here's where it's found in the Bible in other settings I can tie it to the most recent research around psychology and sociology and it's all still true so, It would be an honor to help anyone who listens to this, alwaysaboutpeople.com.
1: You're still a pastor, Chris.
0: (laughs) Trying. I I don't (laughs) think you ever lose it, Wade. I don't think Um, you do either. No, because pastoring people is really the same thing as shepherding. And so it's it's a role of leadership that um, both you and I take very seriously. So always be a pastor.
1: Thank you, my friend. It's been great having you on the show today. Thanks, Wade. Thanks for joining us today for Dreamers and Disciples. I'd love for you to support the show by subscribing wherever you're watching or listening. So subscribe on YouTube, Apple or Spotify and while you're there, leave a review or a comment. It really helps us out when you do that. And please share the show so we can continue to grow the community of Dreamers and Disciples. We'll see you back here next week.